phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome back to Federation Radio, with me, your host, Floyd. And now we're going over the episode, A Taste of Armageddon, which I think I said this in a past episode when I said it was coming up, but um, this episode is awfully familiar to me. I am like 100% certain that there's another sci-fi that has done an episode exactly like this. I think it's Stargate, but don't quote me on that because I'm not 100%. I don't quite remember. I just have vague memories of this, pretty much this exact storyline playing out in a different series. Or maybe it's a vague memory of this episode. I could be wrong. I'm not sure. But this is an episode called A Taste of Armageddon. Now, the episode starts with the Enterprise heading towards a system where they have an ambassador on board and that ambassador is in charge of the entire mission. We see this quite a lot with like admirals or commodores or other ambassadors coming on board. They are in charge of the overall mission, but the captain of the ship is still in charge of the ship. So, while Kirk is in charge, the ambassador does point out he has authority to overrule anything that they say. Now, usually they don't often use it, and these characters tend to be a little bit stupid at times, or make naive decisions, but sometimes they're not bad. Like this guy, I don't know, he starts off as a bit of a, I think he starts off like a bit like a dick. He comes off as... I know better than you, don't question me, I'm on this mission, I'm going to succeed. But by the end of the episode, you sort of, you warm up to him a little bit. You feel like, yeah, maybe he's just a bit of a pacifist that really doesn't want conflict and he gets way too invested in the idea of diplomacy and just can't even imagine other examples. But anyway, they're heading towards this system for a civilization that hasn't been spoken to in apparently about 100 years. And they do mention that the USS Valiant went missing last time it came in contact with the planet. Last time it came in contact with the planet. So it must have radioed back its findings, but then the ship itself never came back to finish its mission and hand in the report. So I guess this is the first time they've had a ship in the area to actually look into that in quite some time. But it's kind of interesting. We never really got much more about the Valiant. I mean, throughout the episode's events, we sort of get an idea of what probably happened to it, but still... I found it a little weird that it was never really brought up again. I, I personally wanted to know more about the Valiant and when it happened and what they did with the technology, but whatever. So this planet is called Enar 7. And we learn very quickly that this planet is at war with another planet in the same star system, a planet called Vendigar. And we learn that Vendigar is a rogue colony of Enar. Which is, by the way, a little sidetrack, but I just want to say, my prediction for what will happen when we colonize Mars. Pretty much the same thing. We'll colonize Mars, and much like Vendigar, over time, either Mars or Earth will have some kind of political issue. Most likely it would be Mars, because Mars would want independence, which is probably what happened with Vendigar. They don't want to listen to their homeworld anymore. They're like, we're second, third generation. Why are we still being treated like servants or slaves to a world we know nothing of? or that we're not loyal to, we were born here, and Vendigar has gone rogue. It's gone independent, and it's declared war on Ina. Which, again, is what I predict will happen with Mars about a century after we start living there. I hope not, but that's, following human history, probably what'll happen. Now, on this world, it's a little interesting, though, because they are at war, and they do talk a little bit about how there was war, and they're still at war, but it's confusing because they get to the planet, Kirk goes down with Spock and a a small crew, and they're going to check the place out. The ambassador 
sorry, I should say, before they get to the planet, they actually get a message from the planet. It's a repeating message that says, do not approach danger. Please leave the system. Which just seems to be a general warning to all starships that might come in the system, like, do not approach, this is dangerous. Now, the ambassador uses his authority to order Kirk and the crew to go forward anyway, bring the ship into orbit. He doesn't care about that warning. He's willing to take the consequences. Kirk points out this could mean war between the Federation and this planet if they break that rule, and he says the consequences will be worth it because we are here to make, you know, contact with them. And and what does he call it? He wants to form diplomatic relations with them. Which, you know, it's an admirable goal, but I do kind of agree with Kirk. Like, if the planet wants to be left alone, maybe it is best you leave it alone. But anyway, he overrules him, so Kirk follows his order. But Kirk does it in a very cunning way, where he follows the order, he goes there, says, I will not overrule you. I'll follow your order. However, I won't let you be down to the planet first. I'm going to go down with the crew, because your safety is still my responsibility, and I need to check that it's safe before you go. So Kirk goes down. Kirk and Spock and all that go down. And what's really interesting is the planet seems to be fine. The planet, from all they can tell from when they scan it from the ship, from the tricorders when they come down, to the people in their clean clothes in the nice city they land in, everything seems fine. You'd be pretty hard-pressed to believe there was any kind of war here. Everything looks pristine, clean, the people have fresh clothes, there's no shortage of food. Like, everything about it seems to scream peace but yet the people keep saying they're at war, which is a little confusing. But then it happens, they get taken to the council chambers, the, like, council that runs this world, I guess, the Enar council. And then computer messages start going off. Computers all around the room start beeping, and he says, I'm sorry, Captain, we have been at war with 500 years with Endegar, and they have just struck our city. And Kirk kind of looks at his crew and starts looking around, like, I didn't hear any explosions, and he tells them to get their tricorder out. And the tricorder reads no damage. Spock says start scanning for radiation, any kind of weapon they can imagine. They're like, I, I don't sense anything. They contact the ship. Scotty, who's been left in charge of the ship, says, All looks clear from here, Captain. I, I don't detect anything. So they turn to the council and they're like, well, what's going on? What do you mean you've just been attacked? As far as we can tell, absolutely nothing has happened out there. And that's when he explains the... I kind of agree with what Spock said. This is a logical approach that he does understand, but he doesn't support or agree with. I kind of feel that. Because what he says is that for centuries, there's been an agreement between the two planets, Enar and Vendigar, that they were at war, they refused to end their war, and neither civilization wants to forgive the other and work together. But they both want to survive, and I guess they got to a point where they recognized that their weapons were dangerous. They were so dangerous that to actually openly fight with them would pretty much be the end of both civilizations. And neither side wants that. So funny enough, I was talking about the Cold War a little in the last episode. This is kind of a Cold War, but a very different take on it. Instead of the Cold War being an actual Cold War like in our world, where they mostly fought through third-party intermediaries throughout the third world and diplomatically and politically and had science races and space races and things like that to try and outcompete each other, these people decided to do it almost like a video game, where their computers contact each other, they manage to do mathematical calculations to, if we fired a fusion weapon, this is where it would fire, they feed all that calculations from Vendigar to Enar, 
Their computers calculate, yes, if they had fired a fusion weapon at this time, it would have passed all of our defense screens, it would have passed all of our defenses, and it would have hit the planet here. And then a circle is drawn around where it would have hit. It determines all the people that live in the area and that are currently occupied there, Would how many would have died. Then those people... Uh, well, they're not rounded up. Like, it doesn't seem like it's an authoritarian fear thing where they feel like they have to follow the rules, but those people are basically sent messages and told, and they just understand because it's been going on for 500 years, that you are registered as dead. You are a casualty in the last attack, which means that you now need to report to a disintegration chamber. Because, see, this, this is where it gets a little dark, but it's also kind of their solution to not ending their society. Like I said, similar to the Cold War, where the two powers hated each other and they were, for all intents and purposes, fighting a war. But they weren't directly fighting because both sides had huge nuclear arsenals that would have probably destroyed the vast majority of humanity and absolutely destroyed each other. Neither side ever found a way to attack the other without being devastated themselves, which is why it never happened. Whereas these people decided instead of trying to find other ways to compete and do what we did, they just came to an agreement on how they're going to fight without using their weapons, but still inflicting damage by killing people. Now, he mentions, the, the leader that is, that every year around about 1 to 3 million deaths happen. Now, admittedly, on a planet of probably billions, 1 to 3 million sounds a bit callous, but that's really not that bad. Like, if you were fighting an open conflict, a war with a power of equal size, and you were only losing 1 to 3 million a year, you could probably withstand that, which is why for 500 years they have. That's enough people... There's enough people dying that people still feel invested in the war and feel like it's important and they want revenge because, you know, if you grow old in that world, you probably know quite a few people who didn't because of that war. Now... They didn't because they walked into disintegration chambers, but they walk into those chambers because if they don't, the agreement is broken and then real weapons will fall. And then those who survive the weapon fall have to live in a war-torn hellscape. And nobody wants that. So they keep doing this. It's a very logical, computerized, and dark way to fight war. But it's not real. Not really. And I kind of agree with Spock. It makes sense logically. You know, I can see from like a computer simulation or a video game or something that being a case, but in real life, I just, I struggle to imagine sentient beings just walking into disintegration chambers because they were told the computer program had fired on their location. I feel like most people would rather just fight. I would rather die in a war than have my government show up at my door and say, oh, because of a simulated blast, you now have to go kill yourself. Like, no. I don't think many people would go with that, but these people did. Now, I don't know, they don't mention much, but I have to believe at some point they did fight open wars and this agreement was struck as a way of surviving because of how devastating it was. So maybe at some point they are taught about what it was like and maybe over their lives they truly do accept that this is better. But I struggle with that. Now, during the attack... The people actually say, that message you got to stay away from our planet was for this reason, and we are sorry, but the worst has come to pass. Your ship has in the orbit of our planet, and therefore became a proper target, and has been targeted. He says, everyone that came down in your landing party will get to live, but your ship shall be destroyed, and everyone on board shall be killed. They shall have to come down and go into the disintegration chambers, otherwise it would be a breaking of the agreement. Now, that's where it gets obviously very interesting, because... These people didn't know about the agreement. 
the Enterprise and its crew were not a part of these people. They wouldn't have signed the agreement. And yet Kirk and the and Spock and all that are being held captive and being told, you are now in the agreement, like it or not, you are going into a disintegration chamber. So at this point they're being held, they're being told your entire crew is going to be killed and there's nothing you can do about it. That's basically a hostage situation by a very strong power and that's a bit scary. Now, of course, Spock interestingly uses a little bit of Vulcan telepathy when they're in their prison cell to convince the guard outside the cell to open it which they then knock him out, steal his clothes and his gun. And they manage to do this to another few guards, destroy a disintegration chamber, and just generally cause havoc in the capital. Now, Ina has a bit of a problem where you don't have to go to the disintegration chamber straight away. I think they say you've got about half a day to report. So they allow you, you know, a couple hours, go say goodbye to your family, tie up any business ends that you might have, give your business to someone if you have one, you know, tie up your life, and then you go to disintegration chamber. So it keeps their society fairly functional, unlike war where it would just be destroyed in a crater, and that's it. That business would have no more economic benefit. You know, in this situation, if you got hit, but your son was, let's say, in another part of town doing the shopping, you have a few hours to call him and be like, look, you run the business now, I'm sorry, I was a casualty in the last attack. It belongs to you now, and you leave everything to them, and then you go to disintegration chamber. I can see why, from a societal level, they came up with this. I just, I really can't agree with it. I find it sick. It's like Kirk said: you want to fight war? War is dirty. It comes with disease. It comes with horror. If you want to fight war, you have to accept that what you're doing is not war. You're just killing people. And I agree with him. Now they cause a ruckus. They cause all sorts of trouble. And after a while. Kirk and Spock, who basically become one-man armies, taking out guards left and right. Just At one point, Kirk literally takes on three guards at once and nearly wins. He does end up being knocked out, but I'm not sure if that wasn't a part of his plan because they take him to the council chamber to have him negotiate. Now, at that point, he does something that is amazing. He pulls out a trump card that I... It's very... It's interesting in the original series that the Federation seems a lot more warlike than it would like what he does here is something i could never ever see captain picard doing or like some of the others from the 24th century he the people in front of him contacted the ship to explain what's happened and that the people need to come down mind you they had already contacted them and pretend and used a fake simulated verse voice of kirk to tell acting captain scotty that the crew should come down, all personnel, and that he thinks they would enjoy this world because, you know, they need them to come down and be disintegrated. So they're waiting for them to transport down so they can capture them as they come down. Scotty, of course, is actually surprisingly quite a good captain. He immediately, he says, yes, all right, captain, I'll look into it. And as soon as he gets off the radio with them, he goes over and has the computer analyze the voice, works out it was a synthetic voice immediately ups the shields you know props to scotty he worked out the deception he raised the shields and he then protected the ship in every way he could just like kirk had asked him to so you know good on him he immediately saw through the deception and did every all the right things however at this point like i said kirk's in the council chambers the council contacts them because at this point it's been a while kirk and that have been causing trouble it's been a few hours the people aren't transporting down which means by now they're aware the ship has seen through the deception so they contact them with Kirk in front of them and basically say, we have your captain hostage. We have all your people hostage. You need to start bringing down your people. You have been declared casualties in our war. 
You need to be disintegrated or our planet will be destroyed in the next attack and, your sh and it will not be just a simulation against your ship. Now at this point, sorry, I just smacked the mic, but uh, at this point, Kirk runs towards the comm system before they can stop him and he yells, Scotty, General Order, what is it? General Order 24 in two hours. And... We learn General Order 24 is an order the Federation apparently has. General Order 24, destroy the planet. Now, I don't know, because we never really see this later on. I don't know if, like, the Enterprise actually has enough firepower to fully, like, destroy a planet and turn it into an asteroid field Death Star style, or whether this is more of just a general order to bombard the planet with all of their best weapons until no life exists. I, I would probably assume that it's the second, just orbital bombardment, but, you know, we... I don't think we ever actually get to see General Order 24 being put into use, so I'm not sure exactly how it's implemented. It is something interesting, though, that, like, again, General Order 24, orbitally bombard and kill everyone on the planet. Is that an order that, other than maybe with an encounter with the Borg, who, if you don't know who they are, we'll get into them one day... Could you ever imagine, like, Captain Picard giving that order? Janeway, maybe. Even Cisco, I could have seen. There's a couple of captains, but, like... I feel like this is a very original series, a very Kirk thing to do. Like, that's just not an order that I could see Starfleet and the Federation later on using. But it's been thrown around. I think we've had it mentioned once or twice before. This is the only time we've seen them actually threaten someone with it. But it's interesting that they're doing this. It's a very different federation in the 23rd century to what I think most fans imagine later. And I kind of like it, in a way. I kind of like that they have more of a backbone. They're not as naive, they're not as spineless in every situation, and they are willing to use force when necessary. They still hold back. They're not barbarians. They still hold back and they use it sparingly, but they are willing. Whereas I kind of feel like in the 24th century, a lot of the time they just shoot themselves in the foot because they're just absolutely not willing to do what needs to be done in most situations. But anyway... General Order 24. Kirk gets pushed down to the chair. They try and convince Scotty a bit more, and Scotty says, no, I'm sorry, the shields are not coming down. You know, be, right before this, the ambassador on board had tried to tell Scotty and overrule his command, saying, you need to lower the shields. You need to let me go down there and talk to them. And Scotty said, no. The ambassador said, I, I outrank you. I will be putting you on report. Everyone back at Starfleet is going to know exactly who you are. You are going to be fired, you're going to be reprimanded, you might even be punished for this. <laughs> and Scotty says, I know that, but I'm still not lowering the shields. Which, you know, kudos to him. How cool is that? He went against orders knowing full well he was risking his career and potentially his entire future. He may die in a cell after this. But he recognized in this situation that no, we lower the shields, we could die. I'm willing to throw away my future if it means protecting everyone else on this ship and the ship itself. He is an engineer. He probably cares about the ship as much as he does the crew. Kind of like the captain, but engineers and captains have a very unique relationship with their ships. But, um, yeah, I thought that was cool. But anyway, at this point, Kirk explains what General Order 24 is. They start freaking out because they're like, but if in, I think they say half an hour, we haven't disintegrated the lives of everyone on that on board that ship, then the other planet, which is called Vendigar, will have no choice but to assume that we have broken the agreement and they will open fire on us. And Kirk just sort of laughs and says, well, I guess you have a choice to make, don't you? You can kill us in the next half an hour, but unless I give the order to Scotty, in two hours he's going to decimate your planet regardless of what Vendigar does. 
sort of puts him in a real hard spot. Like, that was a smart play. From a diplomatic and, like, leadership perspective, I really respect that. He put this council in a spot of no win. He forced them to come to the negotiation table by taking away all alternatives for them. And that's just what they do. Now, eventually the ambassador on board does convince them to let him go down and talk to them. Scotty begrudgingly allows him, but he says, I'm not sending any other crewmen with you. If you go, you go on your own. And he goes down, thinking that he can negotiate and change things, and they try to kill him. They say, I'm sorry, under better circumstances I would have liked to have worked with you, but you're going to have to go with us. You've been counted as a casualty, you're going to be disintegrated. Now, Spock ends up rescuing him before that happens, and then Spock and the ambassador, who has now realized that his negotiations won't work, basically offers Spock to be one of the security guards. He's like, just give me a weapon. I'm not much of a soldier, but I'm willing to help. You know, and he says that, you know, they have the captain, because at this point Spock didn't know where the captain went. But the ambassador knows after what he was just told before they were about to execute him that the captain has been taken to the council chambers. So Spock and the others make their way to the council chambers to help out Kirk, who at this point, one man armies his way through the guards, manages to jump off the chair when he realizes that Spock and the others must be out the door, literally barrel rolls sideways into three guards, using his momentum to knock all three of them to the ground, picks up one of their weapons and aims it at them and quickly tells them to go to the other side of the room. And basically at the same moment the door opens, Spock knocks out the guard in front of the door and takes his weapon. And now the council is being held hostage by Kirk, the ambassador, and Spock, and the rest of the guards. There's like, I think, three guards with them. There's also one woman, but I think they left her in the room guarding a different prisoner. It doesn't matter, just Kirk, Spock, and the crew. So at this point, they've got the Council of Enar, you know, literally at gunpoint. And they're basically telling them, what do you want to do here? We don't want to die. We're not going into your chamber. We're not going to allow this computer simulation to continue, which... Kirk very much means, because he goes into the next room and destroys the computer that they use to do this, both to receive and to give attacks, which means there's no way they're going to be able to repair it before the time allotted, before Vendigar opens fire, with real weapons. And Kirk turns to the council and says, you better start producing bombs. You better start producing real bombs. This sounds like fusion weapons are about to become a common sight in both your manufacturers and your homes. Uh, Sorry. Unless... You wish to have an alternative. And this is where Kirk pulls out a smart play. He gets on the comm and he says to Scotty, um, Everything is good here for now. Me and the others have been freed. If you don't hear from me again in 10 minutes, then you are to finish order, General Order 24 on schedule. So for now, Scotty is standing down, but he is told if you don't hear from Kirk again, it's still my standing order. So that at least calms down Enoch because they realize that, you know, These people aren't unreasonable. They're willing to lower their weapons when asked. They don't want to destroy you. They just feel like they have to. Now, the ambassador and Kirk basically say, there is an alternative to war, and that's peace. Neither side has to kill its own people. If you really think war is too destructive and neither side wants to have one, then you need to talk to each other about that. You need to find a solution. And that's when the ambassador also speaks up and says, I, this is my area of expertise. I would be willing to stay here after the ship leaves and assist, assist you as an advisor in finding peace and finding relations between you and Vendigar and then Vendigar, you and the Federation. Which is, you know, quite an honorable thing. He's willing to stay behind in a potentially dangerous zone that could become a nuclear war zone at any moment because he truly believes in peace. 
Now, as much of an idiot as he acted earlier in the episode trying to reprimand people and overrule them, even when he was wrong, you can't help but respect a little bit a man of peace at that moment. He's putting his life in danger for peace. That, that takes a certain kind of courage that even most soldiers respect. But, you know, and in the end, that's what happens. He says there is a channel to Vendigar's High Council that we can use, although it hasn't been used in centuries. He doesn't say how long, but centuries, so at least two or three hundred years since they last had direct contact. And the ambassador says, well, why don't we go get started? Let's make contact. That's a few centuries too long, if you ask me. <laughs> and, yeah, that's what happens. The crew is allowed to go back to their ship. The virtual war ends, and we're led to believe that peace will reign there. Although, admittedly, we don't really know that. For all we know, Vendigar is as violent as they say, and they open fire the next day, but I don't think so. Just because it's Star Trek, I feel like if that was the case, it probably would have been a two-part episode where we would have got more. But we didn't, which leads you to believe that that story is closed. Now, I am actually interested if these two planets ever come up again in Star Trek, or whether they join the Federation or anything. I might have to look into that at some point. But, uh, I don't recall them ever being mentioned, so I don't think they ever play a big role. But anyway, this was just a fun little episode going over, I guess, an alternative way to fight war. A way I don't think most people would say was better, but a way that is definitely different to how most people fight it. And it made for a very intriguing story. I really enjoyed it. It kind of gave me those war simulations, because I love war simulations. Whether it be video games, actual war simulations where... People are, you know, fighting all these simulations of what might happen if we went to war with this nation or what might happen if this happened. Like, I love watching people analyze that stuff. I find it endlessly fascinating, all the possibilities. But I don't want to die from a simulation, like I said earlier. So it's not a reality I'd want to live in. But anyway, again, a very, very interesting episode. And honestly, after Space Seed being the last one, I was kind of concerned that the episode after Space Seed would be really bad, because it's kind of a hard episode to follow up. That's a really, really good story that in comparison makes even some of the decent ones we had earlier seem bad in comparison. But this one, honestly, not a bad choice. And I think going straight from Eugenics War surviving super soldiers to Armageddon on two different worlds that is potentially about to happen is, you're keeping the tension pretty damn high. You're keeping people excited but they also toned it down because it wasn't actual explosions they turned it down enough that by the next episode you're probably going to be okay with a bit of a calmer one which i like i think there was a bit of forethought put into that but anyway that was episode 24 a taste of armageddon thanks for coming by thanks for listening once again i'd like to remind everyone that the youtube channel called Musings from Chateau Gallia is online, where this podcast is also being uploaded. I'm putting it on every platform I can find. So feel free to come by, give me a like on YouTube, give me a subscribe, and any platform you're listening to this, give me a rating. I'd very much appreciate it. And I will see you next week. Bye for now.